Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty, and this is Talking Design, 2018, episode number 23. In this episode, uh, I'm talking to Emma Goodser. Goodser? 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 Goodser. Goodser. Who owns a very prominent contemporary jewellery store in Melbourne called E.G. et al., and it's 20 years this yeah. year, so congratulations. That's an amazing achievement. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, it does feel amazing <laughs> and bizarre and overwhelming and <laughs> exhausting <laughs> all at once. Melbourne is synonymous with contemporary jewellery. It's mm. really quite huge, even though it's not mm. given the fair share of publicity it really deserves. You're a jeweller. You studied twice at RMIT, first at uh, public relations mm-hmm. and then fine art and gold silversmithing at RMIT. And you established uh, EGTL fairly early in your career. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I'd only been, I'd had graduated for two years and just found that that there was nowhere really to sell our work and that there was quite a few other people in the same boat. And naively and ignorantly, I thought, well, how hard can it be? So I opened a very small 20-square-metre gallery with Ali Lim. Who's also a jeweller. Yes. So we both had graduated from RMIT. Um, She's no longer with EGTL, but she was there for about nine years, ten years. And And what was the reaction? It was only a pint-sized store in Little Collins Street. Tiny. It was tiny. And what what was the reaction when people first came into the store? Oh, it was funny. It was mixed. It was at the back of um, the new Terence Conran George's. Correct. So that had just opened and we thought, oh, fantastic, location, location, location. Everyone's going to be coming out of there and we're in the perfect little spot. Anyway, two months after we opened that shut down and we were there in Little Collins thinking, oh, God, what's going to happen? And the the response was, I mean, we had no idea what to expect. So we opened the week before Christmas in 98 and we were blown away by how much jewellery we sold and Ali and I were rushing home at night and making things on our in our little home studios and quickly putting them back in the shop the next day and um, so there'd be that there was an amazing response and then there was people coming in just looking at what we had on the shelves and sort of feeling sorry for us thinking oh, you poor girls nobody's going to buy this <laughs> but the business just grew and grew and we never had a point where we thought oh this isn't working what have we done it just kept on so, going. Who are some of the, the jewellery designers you now showcase? From back then? Or who no, are they now. now. Well, we've got 65 jewellers now. Wow. All Australian, New Zealand? Uh, Australian, New Zealand and one international. Because I was, at one point I thought I'd sort of veer into a bit of international. Who's the international? Um, a man called Todd Reed, who comes from Boulder, Colorado. And his work's beautiful. Um, so we we still have a, ri- a mix of people that is, there's three artists that have been with us for the whole 20 years. And so they're obviously well established. Who are they? Anna Davern? Anna Davern, Nikki Hepburn and Amy Renshaw. And, and there's been, you know, hundreds that have actually come and gone over those 20 years. And they're a mix of established jewellers who also have, you know, international careers like Julia DeVille and Catherine Bowman. Uh, and then I still run a an award 
with the educational institutions like with RMIT and Melbourne Polytechnic um, where I'll have an award for a graduate student and then with Melbourne Polytechnic there's a uh, a project that's part of their curriculum where they design jewellery that could go into production for a retail space mm. and then I judge that and then part of the prize is a mentoring sessions with me for as long as it takes them to develop a collection that would work in the mm. gallery and then they have access to the gallery. So what's, apart from the people you represent, it must be amazingly um, rewarding to see the growth mm. of certain creatives. Mm. You know, they might start quite small, mm. like Julia DeVille, mm -hmm. and who's now a big name, not just in contemporary jewellery, but in contemporary art. Mm. What, what, can you see that spark when you first take someone on or is it just still a bit unknown and you really don't, it's just a bit hit and miss sometimes? No, I think, you know, 20 years, been around for a long time. I am, that is something I have definitely um, got better at, which, you know, you would hope so. <laughs> and it's part of, it's the part of the my role that I really enjoy is sitting down with recent graduates and helping them develop their collection but even more recently I've sat down with some very experienced jewellers and my just my role gives me that perspective where I can look at their work and make suggestions on how they can change their collection and it, and it might just be material or materials or, or yeah and it can be proportions or just different things and I've had some fantastic results where I will sit down with someone and say hey why don't we take this out of the collection and why don't you develop this part of it? And the very satisfying thing is because, you know, it's always a big ask to ask someone to... Change what they're doing. Change what they're doing and invest money in different areas and things. But, you know, the person I'm thinking of right now is when I did that and she was so excited and I was getting these text messages from her at 8 o'clock in the morning saying, I've been up since 4 o'clock in the morning, I can't stop thinking about it I can't, and I can't wait to get to my bench at 4 o'clock in the morning to, to make what we discussed. And then, you know, she put them in the space at EGTAL and sold three gold rings within a week. And that's it was very amazing. exciting. And that's what I'm loving doing at the moment is really working with artists to help them develop their collections. And now I don't have to be so hands-on in the gallery. I have 10 staff. Wow. Which is major. And That's full-time staff? Uh, not all, but mostly full-time, about yeah, seven full-time. So that's really a big indication that Melbourne is very strong for contemporary jewellery, yeah, yeah. whether the media picks it up or not. Mm -hmm. Yes, it really is. And um, as I was saying to you earlier, every year, even every month, our sales grow. And and who would you say, like, I know it's quite different in terms of what you offer at EG at all. Who are some of the people now that are coming in to buy contemporary jewellery that perhaps they didn't 15, 20 years ago when you first started? Uh, I would say, I used to say it's people who work in design-related fields and it's architects and graphic designers and industrial designers, interior designers. And now I would say, while we still have those people as clients, it's more the everyday person who isn't necessarily into design at all or you wouldn't think so meeting them they're just they just really love jewelry and what we really do is 
talk to people about the stories about the jewellery and the story about the maker and, the, you know, we really play a lot of... Um, put a lot of importance on the symbology and significance of different pieces of jewellery. And people, it just gets people engaged at a very emotional level. Mm. And, yeah, I, we don't, I wouldn't say our customers are all the big high-end, you know, Melbourne designers. They're yes. just everyday people buying really beautiful pieces of jewellery. What makes, I mean, New Zealand's slightly different again, but and it's a big question, if you had to kind of try and articulate what Melbourne jewellery is about. What, you know, what is it that makes contemporary jewellery in Melbourne, even as opposed to anywhere else in the world, what makes it quite unique? I think um, I, the word that comes to mind is honesty. I think there's just a real honesty and uh, in, and I guess it's it's sort of an Australianism where it's just very natural and um, our jewellers are really just interested in the materials and, and telling a story without it being too showy or flash. It's more about that. And a lot of people are surprised when they come into EGTL because a lot of the gold is matte and especially American tourists come in. They, they, it's they, not shiny. Yeah, that's, this isn't no, gold. It's too shiny. It's not shiny. Yeah, and they don't even think it's gold if it's not shiny. And so they're really surprised. And so there's sort of an understatedness, is that a word? Yeah. <laughs> um, to the work, which I, I think that might be what defines Australian contemporary jewellery. If I was to take people through your lovely gallery at the moment, what are the pieces that are really exciting you that you walk past every day and you go, oh, I can't believe it's so good, so good? Well, particularly if we were walking into there today, there's... Um, the XX exhibition on at the moment, which is, I think, our best exhibition in 20 years. And it was a brief I sent out to all our artists asking them to make a piece of jewellery that incorporated two Xs, so obviously the Roman numerals for 20. And I've also asked them to incorporate a hidden gem in each piece because we're often referred to as the hidden gem because of our subterranean location in, in Flinders Lane. Lane. Um, and, you know, I've sent out these briefs for 20 years to artists and you always sort of hold your breath and think, what's going to come back in? And, you know, it's in this case, 65 artists and... So everyone was asked to... Everyone asked and everyone committed to a piece. Um, and so... Even if everyone makes something amazing, you just how am I going to display this so 65 works by 65 different people are going to look cohesive and make sense? But it works and it's brilliant. It was, it was definitely an exhibition that I just love. And it was interesting because that brief of XX was enough to make it a really unifying collection, but it also gave people enough freedom to explore different things. <laughs> Emma, what's some of the left of centre XXs that you got? Well, I bought one in, so I know it's radio. But this piece that I'm showing Stephen now is by Carl Noonan, and it's a titanium ring, and I love it because of the conceptual qualities to it. What Carl has done, it's got a circle disc on the top with two gold squares inlaid. So by doing that, he's referenced our logo, which is a circle with a square inside. But the two gold squares overlap and make two X's. So that's where he's done his X. 
And then he's made this um, high-intensity stainless steel sort of gem-like structure that has 20 triangles to it, which make, you know, he's referring to our 20 years there. He's also um, included some stones on the inside of the ring, if you have a look under the underneath. Yes. And they're, they're two champagne diamonds that are in the same position as Saturn and Jupiter were on the night before we opened. <laughs> so he's gone and looked up the astrology of that. And then he's got these gold rings inlaid around each stone. And he said that those represent, well, the two champagne diamonds on the inside represent Ali and I, and then the gold rings represent the ripples that have been made by E.G. Mm. that still affect the contemporary jewellery world. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that beautiful? So if you, you know, that's the thing with contemporary jewellery. If you just pick it off the shelf yeah. and just say, wrap it up, yeah. you miss the detail. Yeah. You don't really, you need to see that, I know, that attention amazing. to detail. So often we'll show someone a piece of jewellery and they'll say, oh, no, no, that's not my style. That's too minimal or it's too whatever. Maximal. Maximal or organic or chunky mm. or blah, blah. Mm. And then you'll just tell them the story and they'll, without realising it, fall in love with it and they'll walk out with it mm. because they'll, oh, yeah, now I know the story to that. I, I absolutely love it, even though it's not what they would normally see themselves wearing. And Emma, uh, given how strong contemporary jewellery jewellery is in Melbourne. It's mm -hmm. probably, someone said, the third top place in the world for contemporary jewellery. In my mind, it's probably four-fifth mm -hmm. within the top five. So mine is number one, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to get to that. But in it, why is it that there isn't the attention given to contemporary jewellery in Melbourne, given how strong it is? Like, it's not strong in Sydney. No. You know, they have stores that open and close quite quickly. Yeah, they have tried up there. They tried, yeah. and it just doesn't seem to work. So it's something very Melbourne. But why isn't it something that we hear more about? I mean, is it just think, you think people like that kind of very closed protected world of contemporary jewellery and that, you know, they learn about it through word of mouth? They definitely learn about it through word of mouth. Um, and and people talk about that, that, you know, they went to a dinner party and everybody there had their wedding ring from E.G. Tal and that sort of thing, and they've all just told their friends. But I think, you know, it's, it's one of these things that it falls through some sort of weird gap where it's not fashion... It's not, not art, it's sort of craft, but, you know, where does craft fit anyway? Mm. And and also, and I say this to a lot of artists as well, you're also dealing with a commodity. If you're making things in gold or silver, you're dealing with a global commodity and so people sort of then, you know, they like to sort of work How many out, carrots it's got. Yeah, and they like to work out the price of it and they'll ask for it, you know, sometimes people will ask for a breakdown that's anyway. hilarious. And we'll go, well, no. Because, In costing. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty rare, but these are the people that just don't understand it. But it's, I would say to that, well, you would never ask a, you know, a painter for a breakdown of what he spent on his oils or his canvas. And you've got to expect that, you know, there is an artistic element to this design. Um, and that can't be measured in a monetary sense. No, no, no. And also, and, you know, and it's that other classic thing of how long did it take to make? And it's like, well, it took 40 years. I've, I've been working on these ideas for years and yeah. this is where my practice is now. Emma, 
you started out as a jeweller. Mm-hmm. You're still putting jewellery into the gallery that's yeah. your own. Yeah. Um, how hard is it to do that? That is excruciatingly painful to switch <laughs> from being the business owner, managing staff, to going home and trying to come up with a design for a jeweler, for jewellery. And I did, I really set myself a goal this year for our 20-year anniversary of producing a new collection of jewellery. Oh, my God. It was the most painful experience. Did you do it? Yes, I did. I set myself a very high goal in the beginning and then it was going to be the preview for that. And what I ended up with the pre was with the preview of the preview. So six pieces. <laughs> <laughs> and any of them have XX on them? Yeah, or? they do. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are some of the things that we can look forward to in the near and distant future that you're thinking of? I'm not sure. I mean, I do have to constantly keep up with what's going on in in the art world, in the jewellery world, in the retail world. And I I mean, I think the reason EG Tal is still going is because I do try and stay in touch with everything that's going on, you know, what's happening in social media, what what um, website platforms are going on internationally, how people are marketing things, how things are selling and I I do try and just keep moving and keep ahead ahead of things. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm just watching what's happening all the time and going and I've, you know, gone over and visited jewellers overseas and seeing how things are going there. Where's probably the first port of call overseas? Where are some of the places that you, you find are leading? For contemporary jewellery? Yeah. Um, well... I, didn't, I think everywhere sort of fluctuates and things are at different times, you know. Stronger or Yeah, weaker. I think that things go up and down. I went to New York earlier in the year um, expecting to, you know. I wouldn't have thought that would be no, the place. it's not at all. <laughs> they were like um, costume jewellery. Yeah, they do have a couple of big exhibitions. Um, and so I thought there might be a bit of a sort of scene developing there, but there's not. Yeah. Um, there's nothing really in America at all. No, no, I was kind of a bit underwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. Who's the other thing is who have you taken on? Who's been a real surprise? Something that you some a designer or jewellery creative who you thought forget it. Look, I'm really nervous about it, and it's actually proved to be very, you know, very important acquisition, and someone who's just grown enormously. I don't want you to pick out favourites, but just someone who was perhaps a bit of a black sheep of the contemporary jewellery world. Well, I don't ever really take on anyone that I just think, nah, they haven't Mm. got a chance because I have to think of every, you know, I actually feel like I haven't got enough display space. So what are you looking for when someone comes in? I'm, I'm looking for something that's really conceptually strong and is technically well made and also that sits somewhere within the collection where there's sort of a gap. So, it, and which can be hard for people because someone might bring in something or a collection that is beautiful, but it's just too similar to someone else's. And I'm. You can't. I'm, I'm always very careful and clear about not cannibalising other people's work or. Um, and, you know, every if your work is at E.G. Tal, then you will be protected by not having other work that's similar. Because um, so I imagine people for, you know, it happens all the time. People all the come time. into 
galleries such as yours mm. and then walk away with ideas in their head thinking mm-hmm. that was their idea. Yeah, and I think that can be conscious and subconscious. And um, also there, there are slight trends that happen um, where, you know, everyone's work will start to look slightly similar. And even that can happen within the artists that I represent. And even then I'll have to say to them, hey, your work's starting to move a little bit in this direction and I yeah. won't be able to take that work because it's too similar to this work. And um, so I do just have to keep those Or it's too similar to being on trend rather than speaking from the heart. Yeah, yeah. And then you think you're really just trying to capture something that doesn't perhaps exist. Yeah, and even, you know, the staff will some that time show me work and say, oh, I think this will sell really well. And I'll say, yeah, I think it will too, but we're not going to take that because that's not what we're about. Emma, what gives you the most joy in what you're doing? I mean, you really, you know, you've got a lot of things to fulfil Mm. And you've got a lot on your mind. Ten staff is just the beginning. Mm-hmm. What what do you kind of love the most in your day or in your week? Uh, I do. I mean, there, there are lots of layers to my job and I do find there can be incredibly stressful and that I haven't trained for a lot of these different roles as well. Um and I do think, you know, running a business for 20 years I, and I do all these things that are necessary to, to keep a business going and, you know, of course, I don't like doing a lot of them. The things I do love is when that really intimate moment when you're sitting down with a um, – and not that I do this much anymore, but when even when I see our staff sitting down with a customer – and just that really intimate moment where something clicks and they just fall in love with a piece and there's there's this whole emotional reaction. And we have a lot of tears in at EGTAL. It's a very emotional <laughs> environment. and But I love that. I also love when something clicks. I love those moments where something clicks. It either clicks for an artist and we can have a conversation and they will say, oh, yeah, that's I'm going to go away and do that or I'll go and visit their studio and, you know, they're not sure where to go and they don't feel like it's working and they're sort of losing, they're getting a bit um, disheartened by the whole thing and we can sit down and have a conversation and I'll just say, well, why don't you just focus on this and structure it in this way and I'll even get them writing lists of things to work out how they're going to plot out what they make Mm. and how they're going to keep themselves on track because that's another thing, you know, and sometimes an artist might just keep making things because they just love making them. But when it's jewellery and you're talking about gold and silver, they can get themselves into a real hole. Financial hole. Yeah. And so then I'll have to come in and, and, you know, give them some spreadsheets. And I do that too and I get them to sort of structure. And tell them that the cost of the production is just not going to make it feasible to to retail. Yeah, and not to go down that path because that's going to cost too much. And focus on this and get your cash flow happening before you do that and just to sort of pace things a bit because... That, that financial um, aspect for any artist can be really tricky and that financial aspect is something that's really important and crucial to me and it's a sort of a founding principle of EGTAL. Because you want them to be there in 10 years' time. Yeah, and also I founded EGTAL on that because I found when I was out selling my work, a lot of the places where you where I was selling my work just weren't paying or they'd take three months or six months to pay and, you know, George just went down owing me thousands. Maker's Mark closed owing everybody 
millions, in fact. Yeah. And so one of my, you know, founding principles is that we pay our artists every month on time and we have done that for 20 years every single month. And I, from just hearing anecdotes, I think we might be the only gallery in Australia that does that, that has done that for 20 years. And that's not just in contemporary jewellery. I think probably, that's galleries, galleries across Australia. I think we actually might be the only gallery. Because that's, And I think the thing is when you treat artists in that way, then you're going to get a very high standard yeah. of artists wanting to be in your gallery yeah. rather than just, well, look, you know... Yeah, and they know, and and the feedback that we get all the time is that we're the most professional gallery they've ever dealt with and that they know that they will be looked after. And, yes, we look after our customers, but, you know, being one of the artists myself, that's a priority that Mm. they get looked after. I've, you know, those times where, you know, obviously cash flow has been difficult over the years, but I would rather dip into my mortgage or withhold my pay um, to make sure that those artist payments happen every single month. Look, Emma, well done on 20 years. It is pretty amazing. Thank you. But I think the contemporary scene, contemporary jewellery scene is phenomenal. I think it's really one of the most exciting things about Melbourne. I know. Well, you're one of our biggest and best advocates. Well, Keep I'm only it. a small advocate, but um, the opportunity to interview you uh, is really a pleasure. And I think, you. you know, it's so important for Melbourne. Um, I mean, look, stores come and go, you know, uh, chain stores come and go. I don't mm. think culturally we we lose a lot except for people losing their jobs. But, you know, when something like EG are told, that, that's Melbourne, that's a really important part of Melbourne. Yeah, so um, I feel like it is, yes. It is, and well done. Thank you. And Thank I look forward much. to, if I'm still around, interviewing you in another 20 years. Oh, <laughs> who knows what I'll be doing then. So welcome. Um, thanks so much for coming on to the program, and um, we'll speak soon. Yeah. So thanks again, Emma. Thank you, Stephen. This has been Talking Design 2018, recorded at RMIT University in Melbourne.